Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here are your hosts, Cordell Riley and Evan Hackle. Hello, welcome to Training Unleashed. I am Cordell Riley, your host. My pleasure to be here with you today. Also, my pleasure to have my business partner with me. Evan, how are you doing? Cordell, I'm doing great, but it's a little rainy day today, so, but uh, doing well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Rain makes flowers grow, Evan, so we need the rain, too. We need the rain. Well, it's both of our pleasure to have Barry Linson on with us. Barry is a writer, author, and jack-of-all-trades, and I'm sure a lot of other great things. Barry, how are you doing, sir? I'm terrifically well today. Thanks. I really want to thank you both for inviting me to, to be on with you for this podcast. Good. Terrifically well. I like that, Barry. Terrifically well. That's, that's that really good. good. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's a little diversion, but I think it's important. Uh, for years, when people would ask me, I'd go, not too bad. And I'll tell you something, not too bad is not good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's important to be positive and happy. But uh, Barry, I'm really happy to have you on board because this is Training Unleashed. And Training Unleashed means that we, we don't have to be conformist. We can talk about different aspects of training. And today, you're going to talk about a part of training and a, and a way of thinking about training that's very different than the normal way we all think about training. And I think that's just a great exercise. So rather than me spill the beans, why don't you talk a little bit about and kind of give the background on what you're going to talk about. Terrific. Well, I was privileged for a period of about 10 years to study at a very traditional jiu-jitsu dojo or school uh, located in New York City, 105th and Riverside Drive in the basement of a Buddhist church, a Japanese Buddhist church. It was a school that was run by a man named Nobuyoshi Higashi. It was called the Kokushi Budo Institute. He was a former All Japan Judo champion. He had his own school. Uh, and in my earlier years, I had occasion to study at two really major universities in North America. I got an undergraduate degree from McGill University in Montreal, and I got a master's at Yale University. But at none of those places did I have an instructor who was as inspiring or as skilled in teaching as Nobuyoshi Higashi. Um, he was somebody who I literally observed sitting in a corner of a room imparting a vast body of knowledge to a group of several hundred students um, in a very relaxed way but with incredible efficiency. And what I would like to talk about today is to explain how he did what he did and to talk about how that kind of learning, I think, can be applied in most business settings. Well, I definitely want to hear that. When you were talking, you had, until you said 200 people, you had me thinking about the Karate Kid in the movie. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think this is going to be interesting for everybody. So tell us about his style. Tell us what he was like and what his methodologies were. Okay. Um, well, jujitsu is a traditional, very traditional martial art that embodies um, th throwing people. It involves kicking people. It, involved, it involves locking joints, you know, how to put people in arm bars, how to lock their knees, how to lock their wrists. Um, curiously enough, what jujitsu actually means is the gentle way. So when you walk, when you walk into our school and you saw, see people getting flying all around the room and getting thrown, 
it was easy to forget the fact that it was the gentle way, but it actually was. Um, but the way, the first, the first thing to say about how this teaching system worked was to say that there were different levels of ranking within all the student body. Um, and white belts had a specific set of skills that they had to master before they could move up to become yellow belts. White belts had to know what was called chikama no waza, which means close front techniques. So when you were a white belt, you learned how to defend yourself from attacks from somebody who was standing essentially within arm's reach of you. So somebody could try to choke you, somebody could grab your lapel, somebody could grab one of your arms, somebody could grab both of your wrists. So that was what you learned at white belt level. When you moved up to yellow belt level, you learned what was called Yoko no Waza, which was how to defend yourself from close attacks from the side. So somebody would put you in a bear hug, somebody would grab your arm, somebody would try to choke you from the side. Barry, before you go any further, and yes. just out of curiosity, because the way you described this with such energy, it's as if it was almost yesterday. Yes. When was the last time you took class? It's actually been a long time. It's been more than 15 years. I had to stop because of a neck injury. So, I mean, I just think it's amazing. He must have been an amazing teacher for you to remember this this well. I'm just pointing that out. But please okay. continue. Thanks. So, again, a yellow belt, you did side attacks, okay? And when you got up to green belt, you did um, what they call ushiro no waza, which means attacks from behind. So somebody would choke you, put you in a bear hug. Somebody would grab one of your arms from behind. Uh, when you got to brown belt, you learned um, distant techniques, but called tomo no tanto, which mean, means attacks from attacks from afar. So that would be somebody punching, kicking, um, running at you, things like that. Um, when you got to black belt. That's when you started to do free fighting and you started also to learn how to defend yourself from attack with weapons, with knives and clubs and staffs and things like that. And then finally, when you got up to brown belt and black belt, you began to do free fighting. So that's the body of knowledge that was distributed down through the organization. But the really sweet spot and really fascinating thing about the teaching system and the thing that I feel can be applied within organizational structures and businesses is the way that knowledge was taught. Um, if you were a white belt, let's say, and you were learning close front defenses, again, somebody grabbing an arm, somebody trying to, somebody trying to choke you, whatever, sometimes the head instructor would pair you off with another white belt. So you were both uh, basically beginners, and you would work together. At other times, he would have a green belt work with a white belt, or he would have a brown belt work with a white belt, or he'd break it up in different ways, or, you know, two black belts working together. So the idea was that it became a self-teaching um, structure. He could pair people off in a number of different ways, and the whole thing would, would essentially teach itself. He would say, okay, we're going to work on this technique today. White belts take white belts, etc., whatever, however he wanted to structure it. Other times he'd put everybody in a big loop 
and you'd, you'd work out with one other person for five minutes and then he would clap his hands and everybody would step down one. So, you know, somebody who would be a beginner within the organization would be working with somebody who was very expert. So the whole thing became a self-teaching entity. Um, another thing that I think was pretty unique to this place was that the way you progress from one belt level to another belt level wasn't just by learning skills and showing them to the teacher. You had to go into competitions. Before you could test to move up a belt level, you had to have acquired a certain number of competition points um, against people from other schools. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Total Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net. T-O-R-T-A-L. Tortal.net. Before we get too far away from this, okay, how did he teach people to teach? Was it people observing how he taught? Was it one of those things where he showed and by his leadership people witnessed and followed? Or did he take time to actually coach people on how to teach? He would coach people on how to teach. He would, um, if he felt that you missed something, uh, if you were working with a with a with a couple of people out on out on the uh, the mat, and he felt that you had failed to observe something, he would call you over and very gruffly often say to you, "I won't try to imitate his Japanese accents. I could be like, mm, Barry, don't you see something? Didn't you see something?" And uh, and you know, so that was part of it. There was ultimate authority. His was the ultimate authority. Um, so yes, he would, uh, and he and he would coach you and encourage you, um, but it was often a matter of his very very keen insights and, and powers of observation. So Barry, you were you ended up being pretty successful. Tell us about your success for a second. Okay, um, well over the course of about ten years, I worked out there three times a week and. Um, did a lot of competitions. I was chief official for several competitions and, and a referee at a, a whole lot of other competitions. Um, in order to move up, um, and finally when I became second degree black belt, I had um, reached the rank of 18 uh, worldwide ranking in the art, um, which actually is interesting according to the Japanese system of organizing things. Um, that's a life a lifetime ranking. I'm, I will be 18 for my entire life. You are 18 best in the world in your age group or period? It's act, This is very interesting. It actually means that of all the people in the world who, are pra, who have practiced that martial art, I was the 18th person to achieve that rank. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, so... so Barry, you know that I have a management philosophy of engagement. Yes. Not with an eye for involvement. I'm sure you've heard this before. Yes, I have. It, it, it sounds almost like he has the opposite approach. And I've always said that there are different forms of leadership and that different times and different places, different kinds of leadership are there. But it seemed like 
almost like this guy's an authoritarian. It's his way. It's his discipline. He sounds like he's a good coach. Uh, but maybe talk about how that is and, you know, and did it inspire you, which it sounds like it must have because you, what was his number, by the way? Oh, he, he, I guess he was the, well, he was the founder of the whole style. So um, I'm not sure actually how that translates. He was the founder of jujitsu? Well, of this style of jujitsu. 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 Ah. Yeah. Well, I can understand how what I'm saying would imply that he was a bit despotic or authoritarian. But in reality, that really wasn't how it worked out. And I can tell a story that illustrates that. Please. I was in class one day, and there was another student of mine who had actually achieved the rank of brown belt, which was doing pretty well. And uh, Nobuyoshi, Nobuyoshi Higashi, the head instructor, felt that this fellow, whose name was Fred, was using was not being careful of his of his training partner. He felt that he was going to injure his training partner. So right in the middle of class. Um, the head instructor, Higashi, walked up to him and said, leave my school. He said, come back in a year. Maybe I will take you back. So that was authoritarian, but it did show the level of care that he felt people were supposed to exhibit towards their training partners. So does that make sense? Yeah, he, he, he was an authoritarian who you could sense had the best heart and soul for the people that he was trying to help. Yeah, I couldn't have put it any better myself. Yeah. And he was, lead, was leading by example. Cordell, you have a question? Yeah, I, I do. And forgive me, guys. I want to take us maybe back for a second. Uh, and Barry, you've said a term, and I want to make sure I got it right, and I was following the sequence. I think you call it self-teaching, white belts, work with white belts, brown belts, work with brown belts. Self-teaching is what I think I heard you say, but one of the things that I've seen a lot of in business today as it relates to people doing training and delivering training and think about how they move that move that human capital element, getting people to do the right thing, is peer-to-peer learning. So, you know, getting people that, you know, are performing the same job to work with each other. They may provide some basic training to kind of set the foundation, but then go put that person with a peer, go put that person with a mentor is that kind of what you were describing there with self self teaching? Yeah, I guess self is probably not the best term for it. Oh and no, no, if that's if that's what you called it, but I just wanted to try to no, make sure I, I think in the right way because that's what I I'm think hearing. It's just, a, just a term that I kind of casually applied right now without thinking about it too much. Well, I think it was more than self teaching. It was he was teaching people to be trainers. Yeah, right. Even when you were a white belt, you know, you said white belts teach white belts. Sometimes green belts would teach white belt, but even from the beginning. He was teaching training as part of what he was doing. Yes. And I think, you know, so when you describe that it was a self-fulfilling or self-perpetuating environment that obviously he was adding to it, but he could literally have not been there after a while because everyone knew what their role was and what to do. Uh, and And I think that's interesting because imagine if you had an entire company of trainers right, where everyone felt that their role was to train and everyone, and you said, you know, that he, he taught and, and watched and observed and, and, and really uh, created trainers. So, you know, th- there were no just students. Everyone's were students and trainers. 
So I think there are two important messages there. I think what he was doing about making other trainers, but also the peer-to-peer aspect. So it doesn't just stop once you finish the classroom. It's people working with people in like roles and learning from peers. Uh, I think that's another powerful element of training too. Yeah, another thing very much embedded in the system was, you know, the, the old stereotypical view of life in a in a Japanese martial arts studio is everybody bows to everybody else before you practice together. And what that really means is that everyone is accorded respect. And it also means that if you were a black belt and a white belt came into class for the first time, that you bowed to each other, which implied that you were also willing to be taught by the white belt. Um, and in fact, that that did happen. You know, you would learn you would learn things. It was a kind of an open open exchange of knowledge, and and it meant also that everyone was respected, um, regardless of who they were, where they came from, if they were from another country, whatever any extraneous things about them, they were you you met as equals, really, despite the belt. We're so glad you're listening to this episode of Training Unleashed, brought to you by Tortal Training. The difference between Tortal Training and other online training companies is we're primarily a training company with technology, rather than a technology company that does training. Want to find out more? Just go to Tortal.net. That's T-O-R-T-A-L, Tortal.net. I really really like that because I, I do think that one, there's an issue where, you know, there's the, the, the book, The Art of War, Beware of, beware of, of High-Level Dumb, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, means that the people at the top don't really know what's going on. And, you know, the fact that you respect the people at all levels and you can learn from people at all levels, I think, is a very good business principle. Uh, and that that feedback loop in a lot of businesses doesn't exist. Another thing that ties into it, too, I think, is the fact that skills define the rank. And I think that that's something that's important in in an organization. Uh, If somebody has the skills to perform a a job, um, it doesn't matter if they're younger, doesn't matter if they're foreign born, doesn't matter, you know, a number of other factors, that it's about skills and demonstrated skills. And in a sense, that's why at this school being promoted was dependent upon um, competition, that you had to really go out into the real world, I think, in similar ways that you do in business and demonstrate that you that you have so, what you take. And to, so, you know, if you take this back to general principles of training, that gamification, right? You got yes. rewarded for doing things. And people, there's a, a term here, amer- meritocracy. Yes. Where you get rewarded for what you do, not just because you're there or you've been there for time. Um, my children all went to a, a Eastern freestyle karate, and that was really about time. You moved up, and the, to get your black belt, you really had to earn it. Right. Other than that, every other belt was, uh, you know, basically they put a little black strip like 
when you were a white belt, it was like every three times you got one, you yellow belt every six times you got one, and it got longer and longer. And the brown belt took you as long as every belt before it to get right. to the brown belt. But it, you know, it was time. And to move up the belt, you had to demonstrate a little bit, but it wasn't battles. And uh, honestly, I think it was, you know, if you took your time, you're going to become a black belt. Uh, because I think the person who owned it looked at it as a business. Now, my right. kids got a lot out of it. I don't want to diminish it. My kids got a lot out of it. But it does sound like you went to a, a place where there was really a master, particularly when you describe the fact that there were 200 people in the room. Um, well, there were, there were 200 people actually cycling, to maybe even more than 200 cycling through weekly classes. But a typical, uh, a typical full room at the dojo would be um, maybe between 18 and 30 people or so. Well, that, that makes more sense. So, Barry, we're running out of time. Okay. We ask everyone to give us one training tip. So what would your one training tip be? And I'm going to give you a moment to think about this because I'm, I, I, unlike the people that are listening, I can actually see Barry. And I just want to say, here are the kind of things that I've learned from Barry is that look for the opportunities to make everybody a trainer in your business that everyone can learn from everyone regardless of level or rank within the company, that promotion should be merit-based, that people should prove they know it and earned it as opposed to just simply time or hierarchically-based, um, and that um, people needed to respect everybody in the organization, that even, the, even you know, number 18, Barry, would bow to the first time white belt and that there was complete respect throughout the entire system and that there was a complete understanding that the head of the dojo truly cared about every person there and that their safety was predominant uh, and over any other thing, including in this case, the person making money because he was willing to give up a paying client because safety mattered most. So that's what I learned from this, which I think is terrific. Uh, Barry, your training tip can be about this or any other thing on training that you would like. Okay. Well, I'm going to make two tips. I'm going to push the envelope. Good for you. Okay. Uh, the first thing that I really learned and have applied in life that applies, I guess, to training and other things is always do what you say you will do. That's the big thing. I think that's a great point. Yeah, and it's it can be tough, but you know if you say to somebody you in, you intend to teach them certain things, teach them those things. If you say you're going to show up in a room at nine o'clock in the morning to start the training system, be there on time. Never fail. Live in integrity. Live in integrity. The other thing I wanted to say is that I think that one of the big things I learned, which I think applies to business, is that in a certain way you have to train instinct. Um, people talk a lot today, these days, about intuition. You're supposed to trust your gut. You're supposed to, you know, believe your gut. And I think that's true. But instinct, I think, is something different. It's something you walk into a situation and you go in with flexible, clear kind of mind. And you believe that you're going to be able to do what you have to do as you go along. And that's instinct, you know, and I, that's something that you learn in, in through 
through competition in a dojo because the planning will only get you so far. You, know, you walk out on a mat, you can't plan exactly what's going to happen against an opponent. You have to trust that you've internalized instinct. And I think that in something like sales or any aspect of business, that when you expose people to a lot of different experiences and don't just give them instructions over a period of time and over a number of real-world experiences, hopefully they begin to develop an instinct that they, that they can rely upon as they interact with people. Those are two great tips, two very good tips. I want to thank you, Barry, for being with us. Uh, interesting, the insights you can get from something that's a little out of left field. Uh, you know, the great ideators always believe to look for inspiration from unusual places. And that we, I think in our lives, we have tunnel vision. We tend to think uh, from the same place, drink from the same well. So I think this little trip into the dojo was a great trip. So thank you. Thank you for the time. Our audience, thank you for joining us. Please come back for others. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.